Well, good morning, everybody. And as Andy said, I hope you've had a, a good summer. Um, before I just come to that passage, if you were watching as the slides were rolling through making announcements at the beginning, there was one there which is provided by what's called the Wales Leadership Forum. It's something that I'm part of. And uh, we're having an annual conference in Glenwood Church Center on September the 24th. And so I just thought it'd be good to bring that before you as a church. It's open for everybody. It's free. It's from 9 till 4 on September the 24th in Glenwood. And it's called Equip. So it really is just to help ordinary Christians going to different churches across Cardiff and across South Wales, really, just to be uh, more equipped to serve the Lord Jesus either in their church or out in the workplace. So there'll be seminars and streams and uh, joint uh, um, speakers as well. It'll be a good day. So just look on wlf.org.uk forward slash equip if you want to know more and register for free. That's just a little bit of a, an announcement there. Thank you. As many of you may know by now, uh, Kath and I, we had five children. Well, we have five children. Um, <clears throat> they're all grown up now. And um, I was going to say they've all left home, but some have come back. So anyway, that's the way it is these days, isn't it? But we're hoping to get rid of... Not, not get rid of. We're hoping, <laughs> we're hoping to see the last couple leave uh, very soon as they move into their house. Anyway, we have five children. It's amazing though how they're all so different. I'm sure you, you, you know the same thing if you've had children or have children or nieces and nephews. And yet they've all had the same upbringing. Same mum and dad. I suppose our two older ones lived longer in Africa than the three younger ones, so there's slight different influences there. But they're all brought up with the same values uh, they're all the same family, Jenkins family, but with such different personalities and even perspectives on life. And that's great, of course. And they're all nice kids. I mean, let's just put that out there so that they don't accuse me of anything uh, detrimental. But, and all of them, when they were younger, they took their turn in family chores. don't know if you've ever had that wonderful uh, experience to train your children, but every Saturday, sometimes in the week as well, there were family chores. And uh, all of them would do that. But, I won't mention any names, but some would take more initiative than others. Some would do them more enthusiastically than others. And as a parent, as a mum or dad, it was always such a pleasant surprise if one of them would say when their chore was over, these amazing words, is there anything else I can do to help? Now, it didn't happen that often, but sometimes it did with one or two of them. Is there anything else I can do, Mum, to help? That's such a great attitude to have, isn't it? And it really helps family life. Well, it's exactly the same, in a way, in the family of God, isn't it? I'm calling this this morning, How Can I Help? We're all part of God's family, the church. If we've come into this relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we're part of his family. So I thought this morning as we begin a new month and a new season, uh, let's think for a few minutes about the family of God that we're part of here in the local church in Park End and the part that each one of us can play to be helpful. 
Now, there are various pictures, of course, of the church in the Bible, uh, but there's, there's one picture that is unique to the New Testament, and that's the church as the body of Christ. We don't have that image in the Old Testament for obvious reasons. But we have it here in the passage that Andy read to us, and if you're looking in the Bible, it's in Ephesians 4 and in verse uh, 12, and there it talks about the church, the body of Christ. So what does it mean to be church this morning, part of God's family, the body of Christ? What's the significance? Well, here in this, these 16 verses, I think there's, there's really uh, foundational, seminal sort of information to help us understand the church and our place within it. Now, Paul has just finished, to give a bit of context, he's just finished the last section, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, really, He's finished it with a marvelous passage of, of praise. All the glorious truths, the theology that he's been talking about in the first three chapters leads him to this outburst of praise at the end of um, those closing verses in chapter 3. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the end of chapter 3. And then he goes straight into, so for this reason, for this reason, he's now going to turn from the theology and he's going to work it out practically in our everyday living. And theology that leads to doxology, to praise, is really the only basis for Christian living. That's our motivation. Praise, gratitude for all that God has done for us, the truth that he's been expounding in these first three chapters. And so, hence, having gone through that, he then says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you now to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now remember, of course, Paul doesn't intend by now going into this practical part of the, of the, of the, of the letter of 4, 5, and 6, and so on. He's not implying that by living this way now we can become worthy of the calling, or that we can in some way now earn all the great blessings that he's been talking about in those earlier chapters. He's not saying that. We could never ever walk worthy enough in our calling to follow Jesus to presume that we somehow then deserve all these blessings, these great advantages. That's not what he's saying. No, he said very clearly in the preceding chapters, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's very clear in chapter 2. We were lost, he says, we were children under condemnation, under wrath. We were lost and hopeless. But God in his great love and mercy through Jesus Christ has forgiven us our sins and he's brought us by his spirit into this family of God. And that's all by grace. Not by our own efforts or our own good works. But, but, given that we have been so wonderfully treated by such a gracious and merciful God, then, says Paul, we should respond to that grace and to that love and to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit by walking worthy of our calling. We love him because he first loved us. We walk his way because Jesus first walked our way for us. 
He walked our way of sadness, of suffering, of loneliness, of condemnation, and of death. He walked that way, our way for us. And so we seek to obey him because he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross for us. And by his death and resurrection, we've been freed. We've been saved. We've been liberated. We've been rescued. We've been renewed. Or as we sometimes sing, we've been ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? And so Paul says, yes, don't just sing it. Live it out now. So we can now respond from hearts of gratitude and joy and live life worthy of our calling. So what's that Christian walk going to look like? Well, says Paul, listen, it's going to start in the church. It's going to start in this new community of God's people. That's what he's saying in these first 16 verses. This wonderful family into which we've now been brought by the amazing grace of God. And I think that's worth saying, isn't it? You see, the Bible, the New Testament, knows nothing about lone ranger Christians, people who, don't, who say, well, I can be a Christian, but I don't believe in the church. I don't come to church. No, this is where we learn. This is where we are loved. This is where we are nurtured. This is where we express our love and our worship for God and for each other in this new community, God's family. And so in these 16 verses, Paul shows us how we can be helpful members of the family, the church. So let's just think briefly this morning, how, how, how can we be helpful? How can I help? Now, when we say that, of course, we begin to think of, well, specific things perhaps that I can do in church. And of course, that's important. We'll come to that in a moment. But before we think of specific tasks that we can do to be helpful, Paul speaks about a general principle which is so important, and that should guide all our behavior and all our attitudes as members of God's family. What is it? Well, this is it. He says, first, keep the unity. Keep the unity. That's verses 1 to 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is so important, isn't it? This idea of unity, it's, um, I'm sure you picked that up in the passage as it was read. Seven great reasons, he says, for keeping the unity. Because there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, and there's one God and Father over all. And there's one body because there's one spirit. And the one body is the church, the body of Christ. And it's made up, he says, of Jew and Gentile in the previous chapter. And it's this, this spirit-filled community. It's not a social club, although there are social elements to it, or it's just an interest group. No, it's a supernatural creation by the Spirit of God. One hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, that is, of all Christian believers. So there's this one Christian family embracing us all, including us all, whatever our biological family, or whatever our our ethnicity. We are now members of the household of God. We're not just under his rule, we're under his roof, as it were. And so, these are the seven great reasons for our unity. This unity that is in God. And notice, we, we, we don't create the unity. That's been done for us by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our salvation. No, we have to keep the unity. 
That's how we can be helpful. We can maintain the unity, guard the unity. And so how do we do it? Well, listen to Paul's instructions here. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. How do you show love? Well, by humility, by gentleness, by patience, by forbearance, by accepting and forgiving each other. You see, pride, pride is the cause of so much discord and arguments and falling out when I need to assert myself, when I feel I'm not being valued, I'm not being heard, I'm not being recognized, I'm not getting my way. And pride raises its ugly head. No, says Paul, listen, as brothers and sisters in the family of God, be humble, be gentle, be patient, be forbearing with your brothers and sisters. He uses the same group of words here as he does in that famous passage in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests only, but each of you looking to the interests of others. And why is the keeping of the unity so important? Well, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel as he prays for all his followers down through the ages, that's including you and me, he says, Father, that all of them may be one, united, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. So it's not just for our own benefit, although it's great to be united and to be a family in agreement, but so that the world may believe that you've sent me. You see, our love for each other in Park End, our unity is a powerful witness to the watching world of the reality of Jesus Christ, of the transforming gospel, of the forgiving gospel that we say we believe in, so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God as the Savior of the world. We all know, don't we, how... Um, arguments and disagreements and quarrelings within a family is so destructive, so upsetting, if you experience that at all, all the family members don't get on or they fall out, the atmosphere is, is difficult. We, we often laugh as we think back to those times in, when we were in southern Africa and we had to do very long journeys in our old combi, you know the VW combi before the caravel came in I think. Uh, but they were very popular in Southern Africa as, as taxis, and we needed a taxi, really, for seven of us. But uh, we had to do these long journeys. And on one occasion, like we were talking about this, I was talking with Kath yesterday, I can't even remember what we were arguing about. But there was Kath and I in the front, and we'd been in the, on this long journey from South Africa coming up to Namibia, for some, probably from some break, I don't know. And the five of them were in the back, either sitting or sprawling, or because you could put the back seat down, they could all lie out on a mattress. I mean, there was no health and safety in those days. And forget about seat belts. But I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying <laughs> that was the case. Anyway, for some reason, very unusually, Kath and I fell out. No, I mean, we, we're a normal couple, so we have our disagreements. But to be fair, this was on another level. I'm, I'm not... I'm not proud of it, I'm ashamed to say it, but for some reason I think 
It always springs out the worst in me, being in a car and uh, on a journey or something. And maybe it was to do with directions or what the plan was, but we ended up shouting at each other. Shouting at each other. And it was a terrible sort of fallout and everything went quiet in the car, in the, in the, in the VW. And all five of the kids were normally listening to tapes or shouting or doing something. Everything went quiet. There was this awful atmosphere. Because mom and dad were shouting, disagreeing. And then out of the silence in the back, our, little, our youngest, Beth, who was about three years old, here comes this little voice. I love daddy and I love mummy. I love daddy and I love mummy. I love daddy. And everybody just started to laugh. What was Beth doing? Well, she couldn't stand it. And in her own small way, she was trying to maintain the unity of the family. She was, she was wanting things to be better, to be a reconciler, to be a peacemaker. That's what she was doing. She didn't really know what to say, but she loved us both still, and she wanted everything to be better. It's so helpful in the Christian church to be a peacemaker, to be a maintainer of the unity, to be part of the answer, not part of the problem. So, says Paul, if you want to help in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that's, that's fundamental. Let's have these attitudes, the same as it was in Jesus Christ. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but valuing others better than ourselves. Maintain the unity in the bond of peace. But then secondly, and, and more quickly perhaps and finally, yes, of course there's things we must do, and that's what Paul comes to in verses 7 to 12. Don't just maintain the unity, but celebrate the diversity. That's what he says here. We are the one body, we're in the one family, says Paul, but at the same time, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has proportioned it. So it's as though Paul deliberately turns now from the all of us, the one of us, in verse 6, to the each of us, in verse 7. And now he's emphasizing the enrichment that we enjoy through our diversity. Of course, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We're not all the same, thank goodness. We're all different. We have different personalities, different perspectives, different gifts. And that diversity can be expressed in many wonderful ways through our own personalities, our backgrounds, our, our, our attitudes to things. But particularly, I suppose, through ethnic identity. That's what he's been talking about here. Jew and Gentile, united, brought together in the body of Christ. And our different identities. But I think the main thought here is uh, the different gifts that Christ has distributed to his body. Because that's what he quotes here, that rather strange quote from uh, Psalm 68, which Andy read there in the reading. It celebrates the victory, the ascension of uh, Yahweh's anointed king. And so now Paul applies that to the victorious ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God. And having ascended uh, to that place, having descended first to the earth, he says, and overcome the powers of, of evil, Jesus has now ascended and he's received acclamation and renown and fame. And above all, 
He has received a name which is above every name. And one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But in the meantime, says Paul, now the ascended Lord has given these gifts to his people, to his body on earth. I think he's thinking particularly perhaps of the gift of the Spirit. It was the ascended Lord Jesus who gives the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to birth this new community, the one body, the one family. And so through the Holy Spirit, these gifts are given to men and women to prepare all God's people for the work of ministry. Not just the one person. The evangelist, the pastor teacher, is used to prepare God's people for ministry, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So notice then, first of all, each of us has been given. To each of you has been given. So each of us, within the family of God, we're called to serve, to minister in the body of Christ. That's what minister means, a servant. In other words, in the body of Christ, in the family of God, we should practice every member ministry. We're all ministers. All of us have been gifted. All are significant. But notice that all the gifts, and you can read other lists of them in, in other letters, they're all serving gifts, gifts of service. They're not given for personal exaltation or, or to make ourselves great or famous or, or big in the church. No, they're given to serve so that the body of Christ may be built up. They're given for mutual benefit. So a good question for us always to ask about our role in the church is this. Am I being helpful? Is what I am saying, is what I'm doing, is it building up the body of Christ? And then, of course, the diversity of ministries within the body of Christ, that, that puts the whole role of the pastor, who we would normally call just the minister, in perspective. Pastor literally means shepherd. And the role of the, the pastor is to tend God's flock, to look after them. To, to feed us by teaching us the word of God so that we are all equipped to exercise our gifts, whether that's within the church or outside the church in our daily lives. So again, the, the role of the pastor teacher is not to do all the ministry, poor man or poor woman, not at all. It's not to monopolize all ministry, but it's to multiply ministries through equipping and releasing us all to serve Christ and to serve each other. All the gifts God may give us are serving gifts. And we're to follow the one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You see, our role to be helpful is to be servants, not celebrities, in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we can be helpful by asking, well, how can I help? How can I help? And uh, often, what you will do may not be seen by others. Of course, we tend to think of the visible gifts, and they are valuable, but maybe you're helping behind the scenes. We've had notices this morning of all the different activities starting up again. How can we help? Maybe with clubs, maybe with youth, maybe with children, 
Maybe with Cameo, maybe all sorts of things. Maybe with Andy going out on a Thursday night on the streets. There's different ways in which we can be helpful. But maybe people won't know at all. Less public, but just as necessary gifting and jobs to do. Maybe just by helping one another quietly as church family members and no one else will know. How can I help? And even if we don't do anything, and there are things for us to do, we can always have that helpful attitude to maintain the unity which we spoke about at the beginning. So as we do this together, this is the amazing thing. Here the, chapter, the passage ends. As we keep the unity, as we celebrate the diversity, as we use our gifts to serve, Paul says we will grow into maturity as God's family. Keep the unity. Celebrate the diversity. Use our diverse gifts for his glory and grow into unity, as Paul puts it here, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What are we attaining to? What does Christian maturity look like? It's Jesus. It's knowing Jesus better. It's being more like Jesus attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, living for the Lord Jesus and for his glory. So as we focus on him, we become more like him. And if we're all striving to become more like Jesus, then we're all moving in the same direction, from different angles perhaps, but we're all going on the same journey, and we maintain the unity. And the atmosphere for that maturity, as we live this life together, that's where our passage ends is love in the body he says each part works together each part every supporting ligament grows in love as each part does its work we need each other we need each other as we begin a new season as we live our lives together as we glorify God as God's family and as we show his love to a watching world, we need to be helpful family members by God's grace, growing to maturity in Jesus. Four men uh, were arguing, sadly, over the best translation of the Bible. That's, that's made a lot of arguments, hasn't it? And one of them said, after the other three had given their pennies worth, personally says, I have always preferred my mother's version of the Bible. They said, what? Yes, she translated every page of the Bible into her life. It was the most convincing translation I ever saw. That's what we're aiming for. We need to live it out, don't we? We need to be helpful members of God's family. And that's what we're aiming for, until Christ is formed in us collectively and individually. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands to welcome people. We are his arms to accept and embrace people. We are his feet to meet people in their needs. We are his lips to tell people of his love. So let's do it. Let's keep the unity Let's celebrate the diversity and use our diverse gifts to serve and thereby grow to maturity together and glorify 
the Lord Jesus Christ and hold out the only hope that this world has in the gospel of Jesus. That's how we can help. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this amazing calling on each of our lives that you have loved us from before the foundation of the world, that you have drawn us to yourself, that you have come to this earth to live and to die for us, to forgive us for our sins. You've raised, been raised from the dead to give us new life. Lord, help us this morning to respond afresh to the call to serve you, not out of duty, not grudgingly, but because of your great love to us, you have liberated us, you have freed us to serve you, both now and then in your glorious presence forever. Please empower us by your Spirit and help us to maintain the unity, to celebrate our, our diversity and to grow to maturity by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.